0: This is the Learning Capacity Podcast. You're with Colin Klupik. A very warm welcome to you. This podcast is brought to you by LearnFast Australia, improving student learning with neuroscience programs since 1999. In this episode, we talk with Emeritus Professor Patrick Griffin from the University of Melbourne about his thoughts on NAPLAN 2015. Whilst the test results are mixed and indicate that there is plenty of need for improvement, Patrick Griffin emphasises the need for future NAPLAN tests, and others like it, to also address other key skills required by our future graduates. These include skills like the four C's and problem solving. Let's see what this might look like. Patrick, welcome to the conversation.
1: Thank you, it's, a, it's good to be here.
0: Uh, first of all, I'd like to uh, give our listeners a little bit of an idea of what your current role is with regards to the work that you do. Could you just give us a quick rundown?
1: I'm uh, I'm currently a retired professor from the University of Melbourne, and I go by the title of Emeritus Professor uh, of uh, of Educational Assessment. So I still turn up here to work and supervise students, but uh, I'm not employed here now.
0: Oh, okay. Now you've been uh, recently been doing uh, a lot of work with uh, with the the NAPLAN results and the reports that have been coming out. I thought I could just start by referring back to an article that was published in the City Morning Herald on the 5th of August of this year, where the article states that results show that since 2008 reading, grammar and writing skills have improved for Year 3 students, and spelling and numeracy have improved for Year 5, but writing skills of Year 7 and Year 9 students have dropped and all other results have been stable. So. Those are the NAPLAN results that have just come out. Now, people listening to that or reading that comment might be wondering how much improvement and how much of a drop are we talking about? How significant are these extremes?
1: Well, I think the word significant is is capturing it. Uh, They're talking about statistical significance, not uh, what we call effect sizes. So the uh, the rise is a few points on the NAPLAN scale of um, 1,000-point scale. And the rise, on average, is a few points, and the drop is also a few points. Really, it's um, better to call it a flat
0: line, I think. And that's that's across the board.
1: Yes, it, it really is. Um, one of the one of the things about Naplan is that the, each year's results are totally predictable from the previous year's results at an aggregate level. That's not necessarily true at a school level, and we know that some schools go up and some schools go down. And the My School website is really quite informative uh, for schools and families uh, about the performance of their children in reading, writing, spelling, numeracy, and so on. Um, the question that I raise with respect to NAPLAN is. Are these the only skills that, that we really need to be, be looking at? We know that we're in an information age and a knowledge economy and we do know that the whole influence of, of digital on the workplace is changing the way people work, the tools they work with, the way they think, the way they learn, and the way they live. Not they, we. Um, it's changing. So we need a different kind of literacy And for a start in 2017, the NAPLAN will be delivered online, at least in part. Schools will opt to take the tests online. Some may take them as paper and pencil tests and some may have them delivered on memory sticks. So 2017 is a a bit of a watershed. It's a time when the NAPLAN will undergo permanent and really quite dramatic change. And it's for the first time, it's entirely likely that the 2016 results, the previous year's results, may not predict the 2017 results. So the prediction might break down because the standardisation is, uh, is, is being removed or, or adjusted and schools are opting for the way in which they want to take the test, which they should.
0: So is the, the, the option to go electronic only an issue of delivery or will they also be changing what's actually being examined?
1: Um, the, the, the test questions will be more than likely a little bit more imaginative than uh, the paper and pencil, multiple choice tests. But in order to get efficiency of scoring and with the massive number of students taking the test... That efficiency is really very important. So whatever delivery and and, and style of question is delivered, they have to be able to be um, scored very quickly. That having been said, even in 2017, uh, we're unlikely to see the results in the teacher's hands for several weeks after the testing anyway. And That's pretty disappointing, I think.
0: So just in terms of the way people are reading and interpreting these results, and we're talking about you know changes coming in in a couple of years um, and the the NAPLAN results from this year seem to come up in the media and then they and then they sort of fade away a little bit is it Is it likely that the average parent may not really think terribly much about NAPLAN or what it's trying to do and and if that's the case, how do we get people to actually stop and really think through the issues?
1: I don't know what uh, I've not actually read any parent responses to NAPLAN, but certainly teachers do get in a bit of a tiz and in the lead-up to the NAPLAN tests because the stakes are pretty high for teachers. The stakes are not, not so high for the students because they're not being held accountable. But for teachers, it's, it's high stakes and very important and teachers do practice the kids on the NAPLAN tests somewhat excessively in many cases prior to the test. And I think um, in the article you're referring to, I, I, I call it a testing binge Mm-hmm. That that goes on in school so that the students uh, turn up to the NAPLAN test and they're probably bored but not intimidated by it. That's another issue. I, I think many teachers communicate their stress to the students and they tend to indicate that the students are stressed but that's not actually the case. It's more about what is being tested and it seems to me that 2017 gives us an opportunity to think it all out again. In fact, what I've been recommending <coughs> is that we don't do every kid in grades three, five, seven and nine. We don't do every student in, in every school in Australia. If we had to do that every time to get an idea of the standards of literacy and numeracy and problem-solving and, and so on, the PISA tests would also be administered to everybody, and the TIMS tests would be administered to everybody, but they're not. They use a sample. Mm -hmm. And from the sample, a proper probability sample, they get an idea of the country, the the national standards. My view is that if we could use that approach to NAPLAN and take a sample, the statistics would become available a little more quickly and the statistics could be provided directly to the schools together with the instruments. And the teachers in the non-sampled schools could opt to, to do the tests in their own time, and uh, report uh, on the My School website uh, how they're going. That means a a very high level of trust to the profession, and I think that's warranted. And it would also mean that there'd have to be some resources provided to the schools to mount their results on the My School website. They wouldn't be able to be done in the same way. But the real nice thing about that is that some schools would be doing the literacy and numeracy tests as, as NAPLAN normally is, but it gives us an opportunity to test other things like collaboration skills, critical thinking skills, problem solving, creativity. You notice I've just listed the four Cs.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And as we move into a knowledge economy and an information age and our society changes with the digital revolution that's taking place, those skills are regarded by industry worldwide in the developed economies anyway. They're regarded as essential for participation in the workplace. That's not to say that literacy and numeracy are not, but we've now got a plus. We've got other skills that we need to work through and we need to find ways of efficiently measuring schools and those skills as well. And we might be able to do that with another sample get the stats on those skills and give the materials to the teachers to use for teaching and and assessing the students in their own time. So they've got a good idea of of where the kids are with these new skills, these new learning outcomes that are are emerging as part of a knowledge economy or an uh, information age. So there's a a lot happening.
0: I think that uh, if if I understand this correctly, that sounds like something that uh, the article was relating to as well. I mean, you just mentioned... Providing information back to teachers more quickly, and then also providing them with materials to be able to deal with the issues that were uh, or that came out of the out of the results. You you talk about uh, the fact that if you want to change student performance, you actually have to change teaching. Now, I'm just thinking back to the comment you made earlier, where it's very stressful for teachers, where that the students might not feel particularly stressed, but the but the the stakes are pretty high for teachers to come up with a comment like that to some teachers might sound completely unachievable. So where do we start when we begin to think about concepts of this nature?
1: Well, we're not talking about, um, we're not talking about a radical shift to teachers, but it's a truism that if we just glide through the, the, the day and the, the week and the year, um, doing what we've already, always done with the class, why would we expect improved performance by the students? Mm. So, what's the change that we need? Maybe it's a a way that the Grattan Institute report talked about targeting the teaching so that if the teachers have the materials, they're provided with the resources to make make changes, and their change may simply be a different way of organising the class and using different materials that the, that the system could provide associated with the data that the, the, the teachers are given. Uh, when I use data, I'm not talking about numbers. Um, we, we actually need to be able to report to teachers, not with a number or a score, because what do you do with that? If you, if, if you get a score of 230, which would be pretty low on an APLAN scale, but if you get a score of 230, what does that mean? How does that, as the teacher, what do you do with that? But if you get a, a, a decoding of that, that 230 which says that the student can read at a sentence level, short sentences, and they're ready to learn to read more complex sentences and find information in short passages, if they're ready to learn that and the, the teacher's given that assessment and that, that report, yeah, much more sensible.
0: So really it is about trying to identify um, a much wider range of skills. If if we're talking about the fact that NAPLAN could potentially do that into the future, what, what sort of timeframe do you think we're talking about beyond 2016, 2017, before we start to see some meaningful results coming from that kind of approach?
1: Well, I think you, know, you would see results in three to four years, and that's a very, very long time, and uh, probably – a lot of uh, working with politicians, with the communities, with the media needs to be done to prepare people for that. You can't just add water and, and get a big improvement. And you can't just overnight expect the teachers to suddenly change and do things differently. So there has to be quite a strategic approach to this and, we, and, and planning. But if you say, I'm not going to give you a score of 238 because it doesn't mean anything, I'm going to interpret that for you and I'm going to say that this helps you understand as a teacher that the student is ready to learn to read longer passages and to start identifying the main idea in a passage. Why would you teach something else?
0: You make reference uh, just uh, a minute ago to the report recently um, released by the Grattan Institute and uh, I've read through that report and to me it seems quite comprehensive do you think that that report has actually gone far enough in its suggestions and recommendations?
1: In its recommendations, I think um, Peter Goss and, and his team have, have uh, collected together a lot of a lot of information from people like myself, and that thinking that I've just illustrated or just uh, indicated is permeated through the, the 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 institute report. So that's good. What's missing? is how. We are now being inundated with information about what needs to be done, when it needs to be done, who needs to do it, but there's not a lot of information coming out about how. And so there's, that's the next phase, I guess, where we've got to start looking at those sorts of things.
0: In your experience, have you seen schools that are making successful inroads into that space in terms of the how?
1: Yes, um, I mean, I've sat, in a, I've sat in a grade three class and uh, listened to the, the students talking about the work they're doing and a little grade three students would tell me, I'm happy in this group, I can do the work that we get, but when it gets really difficult and I struggle, I go and join that group over there. And if it gets too easy and I'm bored, I go and join that group over there. They know how to target... The teachers worked out about targeting instruction and the kids understand the point of view. And you see this, it's quite a natural thing. There's no stigma attached to it. That's grade three. I've been... I was a secondary teacher and it's the way I did teach when I taught. But I've seen other, other teachers doing this. Grouping the students in instructional groups. It's not streaming because, as the little boy in grade three said, he's not fixed in any group. He can go where he's ready to learn and he can work with his other students in the class in, in a way that, that helps them learn. And the teacher wanders around working with the groups and when they discover things that the groups are stuck with, the teacher can teach a small group. But it's unusual under those circumstances to see a teacher standing out the front, holding forth and presenting information to everybody in the class.
0: Was there any special uh, setup in that classroom? Uh, was the, the, the learning space different? Was the furniture different? Was it chairs in rows? The, how, how did it work?
1: Well, there were no rows of chairs facing the front or desks facing the front. There were basically discussion tables. Um, in some of the more modern schools with the modern architecture, you have discussion pits where the kids can go and work in, in those. But generally, fairly open plan with um, tables that they sit around and work, collaborate working together they learn from each other and the teacher wanders around working with groups of small groups of kids helping them
0: make progress
1: that that's really what we mean by changing teachers
0: I guess that's probably what you're also referring to when you uh, when you or when the reviewer of your of your delivery of the lecture in Sydney um, talked about uh, systemic and seismic shifts because I mean in my experience as a teacher I can think of literally hundreds and hundreds of rooms that have tables lined up in rows with chairs neatly behind them all facing the front, to, to suddenly just move all of that stuff is just, a, it, in and of itself, it's a logistical challenge, an enormous one. And then to get the people who normally work in those rooms to come around to changing their, their environment so they could perhaps facilitate these smaller groups, that to me sounds like a challenge that could take many, many years, perhaps even 10 years. Does that sound plausible to you?
1: I, I think so. I think with some schools uh, it would take longer than the four three or four years that I spoke to before, but many teachers are ready for this change. many teachers are ready for this change and I didn't use the seismic word um, accidentally I, I think it is of earthquake proportions that we're, that we're talking about and I also believe that the beginning ought to be in 2017 when the format of NAPLAN changes and when that changes we're ready for something that can be quite disruptive in the system and when you go for change and you go for disruptive change you might not get the total change that you set out to achieve but you'll get a residue. If you're trying to be subtle, smooth, do it on the quiet, often nothing happens.
0: Okay, so there's a certain element of risk taking that's involved. You betcha,
1: but the rewards for the country are fantastic.
0: Just, uh, just on that uh, on that issue of risk, where, where do you think the major blockages are to people taking those risks?
1: That's a good question. Um, I think inertia in the system. Uh, <clears throat> I think um, parents uh, are a major stakeholder who need to be consulted, who need to be convinced, who need the information that this is not the way you went to school, it's not what you did when you were at school, it's a little different. But we're living in a very different age. Now think about the grades, the, the five-year-old children who started school this year. By the time they're finished, year 12, gone. some of them have gone on to do university. It'll be nine, 2032 Or 34. Sometimes when you talk to parents about that, that's so far into the distance it doesn't make any sense to talk about it. But those kids, those five-year-olds, will be leaving the school, the system and entering the workforce and what kind of workforce will they begin to get into? That's going to be different. The jobs that were available to the parents won't be there. Mm. The jobs that the parents have never dreamed of will be there and the whole new skill set that those five-year-olds need to enter the workforce and become productive quickly. Now, we can leave the education system alone and we can educate them for a factory-based economy or an industrial economy, but we really do have to find ways of educating our children to move from the factory to the office. And even more so, we need to help them move from the office to the internet as, as ways of earning a living and participating in society. Now, that's not everybody, of course, and, and I'm stylising that trend, but that's what's
0: happening. So coming back to NAPLAN and given the developments that we're looking forward to, I guess you would say that NAPLAN's still worth developing further and persisting with?
1: Yes, I do. I think it provides important information about what we might call a foundation-type skills literacy, numeracy, um, if we go down the track with science uh, or with TIMS and that sort of thing. But it doesn't give us information uh, about the the competencies of the four Cs that I listed before plus problem solving. And it doesn't take us a little further into the kinds of attributes that people need like curiosity and creativity in, in, and the ways to, to access and use information in a knowledge society. Look, we really are on, in, a, in an interesting time in terms of developed economies in the world, shifting from manufacturing... You don't have to be Einstein to say we don't have a manufacturing industry anymore. Mm. We've got service industries, we've got information, we've got knowledge-based industries, and the kinds of things that are av- jobs that are available to the kids at schools now are going to be predominantly service-type industries predominantly part-time, predominantly casual, and they're going to have to have different lifestyles in order to exist in the society. Now, let's not hang on to an industrial-type curriculum and assessment system. Let's have a go at doing something about it. In 2017, the United States will make a decision about its National Education Progress Program about whether they will measure collaborative problem-solving. This year the OECD measured collaborative problem solving in something like 65 countries. I'm proud to say that the work on collaborative problem solving was developed right here in Melbourne University.
0: Oh, very good. Mm. So uh, I guess we've got things to look forward to and I I suppose people will be looking forward to very much seeing what the results are sometime after 2017.
1: Well, it's going to be an interesting time and uh, I'm people should brace for for the landing i
0: think okay that sounds like a very interesting future indeed patrick thanks very much for your time okay thank you you've been listening to the learning capacity podcast brought to you by learn fast australia if you'd like to comment on this podcast send us an email to feedback at learnfastgroup.com.au and to find out more about learn fast visit learnfasthome.com.au where you can also subscribe to the blog until next time bye for now